Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? I am well. Long time no talk. Yes. <laughs> All right, it's the Read This, Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. And I am Dale. And before we get started, I keep trying to remember to do this, Dale. We have a Twitter account, correct? We do. And it's at RTWT2022, correct? It is. That sounds right. We also have an email, old school email address, UriahHeap324 at gmail.com. That's U-R-I-A-H-H-E-E-P at gmail.com if you want to send us comments or suggestions. Only good ones, only good comments. I won't read the bad comments. (laughs) I want to live in my silo. All right. uh, Following up on our last... Our, our last uh, take, which was H.G. Wells' Time Machine, I wanted to do one of my kind of favorite films, not in any aesthetic way, but just as a fun, a fun film, 1979's Time After Time, starring Malcolm McDowell, Mary Steenburgen, David Warner, and Corey Feldman. Did you see Corey Feldman? I did. <laughs> that was, I had to stop and it was like, is that yeah? And then I looked it up to make sure. Yeah, so starring Corey Feldman, who's in it for fifteen seconds. I surprised though. Yes. If you could get this on Amazon, they probably have his name on the on the title and uh, his picture. Starring eighties <laughs> teen sensation Corey Feldman, along with Malcolm McDowell, Mary Steenburgen, and David Warner. Yes, this, the great, the great David Warner. This movie was directed and adapted by Nicholas Mayer. Nicholas Mayer was a writer up until that point. And I'd actually written, uh, written, I've read some of his works because I like, I always, there's a point in time, I still do, but I haven't actually read these in a while. The Sherlock Holmes knockoffs, using Uh, the character to write your own story. Yes. And he did a number of them. He's kind of a, in that field of continuing the Sherlock Holmes adventures. He is kind of a major player. He wrote the 7% Solution, which was turned into oh, a movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He wrote the West End Horror, which is pretty good. He wrote the Canary Trainer, which is okay. And he's written a few others. He also uh, directed Time After Time. He, I believe he directed... A couple Star Trek movies, including The Voyage Home, which has some connections to our movie today. Yes. And he directed that uh, classic 1983 movie that scared the living crap out of all school children at the time, The Day After. Remember Did that? He really? Yes, yeah. I do remember that. And he's still with us? He was born in 1945. He's still with us. He's still publishing novels, although I don't think he's doing much that I'm aware of in the movie business at this point. But he's still he's did, still doing some of the Sherlock Holmes knockoffs and a couple of other things. So briefly, and this is all you really have to say about this movie, is that H.G. Wells chases Jack the Ripper from Victorian England into 1979 San Francisco. Yes. Kind of a fish out of water mixed with thriller, I I guess. I mean, it's not that thrilling. (laughs) 
<laughs> but no, I, I guess if you're going to categorize it, it's it's a thriller and it's a, one of these fish out of water stories, which makes up a a decent part of the first third of the movie. Yes. Have, have you watched this sucker before? I did. Yes. When I was much closer to its release date. Yeah. Um, yeah. But probably on TV, though, right? Uh, I think we got this on video. Okay. I don't ever remember seeing it on TV, but I may have. All right, so you saw it. I'm not. You didn't see it in the theater, though. No. Did you like it back then? I did. Yeah, it's a fun. I. It's just. It scores again, kind of. If you like movies from the '70s, a certain type of movie from the '70s. This is a late '70s movie. Yes. And so you can see some of maybe little bit of the early 80s in it a little bit of the 70s in it it almost has a made for tv quality about it yeah but the, i think the actors kind of take it out of that that category malcolm mcdowell was known at the time because he had been in um that that crazy clockwork orange and caligula yep not so sure about mary steenburgen what her I did not, I should have, don't, she had been in a few things, I'm sure, before this. It was something of a known quantity. David, David Warner was a known quantity, brilliant English actor, always, always thought he does a, always at least a workmanlike job, no matter what type of crap he's in. Yes. And we all know about Corey Feldman and what a brilliant actor he became. Yes. Yes. But I saw this probably on TV in the 80s, and I went through a uh, probably attracted me most because of the Jack the Ripper angle. I went through a Jack the Ripper phase for a while, reading as much as I could about that. It always fascinated me. There's some there's a lot of kind of crap out there on it. Mm -hmm. But there are a few books that and it's not, uh, you know, Jack the Ripper was a serial killer in london from about august of 1888 and i think the last murder was attributed to him was november of 1988 but the 19, real 1888 1888 i'm sorry well with the time machine who knows that's true right yeah yeah but i thought the best works spent a lot of time a lot of time on the era and the social and economic, uh, the, the, you know, the social and uh, economic conditions in London, in the East End at that time period. So it really was not some glorified, I like to read about serial killers. It was yeah. getting a real good understanding of what it was like in the poverty-stricken 1888 London and it's a it's a grim picture it's a gritty gritty time and one of the things that I've learned and I, I perhaps I'm I'm wrong but this is something that I learned um, is that the London fog that London <coughs> is famous for during the Industrial Revolution was not fog it was pollution <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes a little bit of the romance away of those <laughs> foggy which, London nights. Which I think, you know, happened also in po post-World War, World War II London. Yeah. I think there was there was some very significant um, pollution issues that way where, 
you just you you couldn't see it wasn't because of the fog it was because of all the the coal dust yes it was it was pretty bad and the poverty back there was yeah there's no comparison today in the united states to the poverty in the east end particularly Whitechapel, where jack the ripper did most of his murders it's astounding the number of people packed into quite a small parish i think the parish itself was uh, only a couple acres and the number of people packed into that uh, English uh, immigrants, uh, uh, the amount of foreign language, everyone, w- no one drank the water back then. So everyone's drinking liquor. Yeah. So everyone's, uh, you know, constantly has to be constantly buzzed to a certain extent. But that's, you know, you wouldn't dare drink the water. Right. So everyone was drinking uh, liquor and working. If they were working, they were working more than one job, uh, crappy jobs and one of the most amazing things, and then we'll get on to the movie, was the nightlife back then. And I don't mean the entertainment scene with with uh, taverns and prostitutes and dance halls. The place was bustling 24-7. There were people out on the streets of working class and poor neighborhoods of London at all hours. And it didn't, it was the same at 11 a.m. as it was at 3 a.m. People going to and from work, people working the night shift, people coming home and then going shopping for what little groceries they could buy. It was constantly going. There was a lot of violence, but it was the type of violence typically would be people drank too much and got into fights and somebody cut somebody else, domestic disputes, uh, robberies, things of that sort. And so when this guy showed up on the scene and was just gutting people, not that there had not been similar types of killings, but not three, four, five people all kind of just, you know, dismembered. It was so even in the, even in the worst part of London at one of the worst times ever, Jack the Ripper's crimes were shocking. Yeah. For people that were hard to shock. And so when I, I remember seeing this, I, oh, yeah, got a little fantasy thing going on, chasing Jack the Ripper to modern day America. Oh, well, why not? I'll try it. I loved it. It was just fun. It, given the topic, it was a, a fun type of entertaining, entertaining movie. I thought, you know, I don't. I didn't know anything about H.G. Wells really, except he was an author that wrote some science fictiony type stuff. You didn't know that he traveled through time solving <clears throat> mysteries. I did not, as Sherlock although, Holmes. Although I'm shocked it did not, did not become a television series. Um, uh, you know, Malcolm McDowell's. I've always liked. He's my favorite McDowell brother. Um, although I, I like, yeah. I like. I like Roddy McDowell. I always like Malcolm a little bit better. David Warner, I've always been a huge fan of his. I always think he's good. Mary Steenburgen, likable. Yeah. Uh, it was just kind of a fun, like I said, I thought it could be a made-for-TV Saturday night 1979 movie. And it's pretty basic plot, right? Yes, yes. Very, very basic plot. Um, and it kind of... I think the movie in, in, in my mind exists in a time, <clears throat> excuse me, where um, 
it, it, well, I mean, I'll put it this way: it, it's not. It's a. It's a simple movie. Simple Fair. story. Simple movie. It's, they're they're not trying to do anything fancy. Um, they're just trying to make something um, kind of purely entertaining. Not trying to engage too much in right the implications of time travel. Oh God, um, no! Although there is a there is a nice little kind of twist on that towards the end, which I which I thought they did they handled um, they handled well, um, and it is just entertaining. And I think that was that's the point of it. And and I think. Uh, personally, I think it was a success. Me too. I liked it. I thought it worked. And I like the, in the beginning, it's very similar to the, the novel we just did. It's HD Wells has a bunch of friends over. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he's, he's talking about his time machine. <laughs> he's talking about his time machine and he's finally built it and they, they're waiting for Dr. John Leslie Stevens. Also known as David Warner. Also known as David Warner. He shows up late. Uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell is... Uh, he, he takes his his schematics for the time machine, which looks something like a steampunk helicopter with... with um, it's got the solar dish. Yes. It's a solar powered. I love it. Yes. Yes. Uh, and he tells them about the time machine. He does not get into, um, there's not a lot of science there, is there? No. It's just like, here's the machine. If you press this, you press that, you go forward, you set the date. There is a couple fail safes. There's a key in the machine. Yeah. If you leave the key in the machine, the machine stays with the traveler, meaning. If you travel two years in the past, you can get out of the machine and the machine will stay, right? Yes. Then there's a thing on the side that that David Warner points out when his friends are inspecting the machine. And he says, what is that? And he says, that's the flux capacitor. Yes. The 1.21 gigawatts. Yes. Power. I thought it was going to look, I was hoping it would look like a DeLorean when I started to rewatch this. Mm. You built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Well, 79, um, it might have been a, <clears throat> um, maybe a Ferrari. Ferrari. If you remove this piece of equipment, which is on the outside of the machine, the traveler will go it alone. He'll be catapulted into time and the machine will stay where it is. Right. They uh, they have a um, after he explains this, they go back to their drinks and playing chess. And I thought uh, I really liked two scenes between. We'll get the one, but the one scene I like, the one conversation I should say between H.G. Wells and who will we find out to be Jack the Ripper is Wells is saying, "I'm going to go into the future." He's a bit scared, though, right? He's not sure, quite sure when he's going to do it. He he's hasn't getting... built up the nerve. Well, he's... he admits, he says, the only yeah. thing that's kept me is the nerve. I yeah. just haven't had the nerve to, to do it yet. I get it. I, I, that's that's kind of a human, right? I, yeah. I'm all set to go. It's like, uh, yeah, this is okay. He wants to well, go. He's, in... he's, he's also imbued with certain characteristics throughout the movie. We get this. He's a pacifist, right? He's uh, he doesn't believe in violence at all, right? He's he's and he 
these attributes are, um, you know, these, these, you know, potentially virtuous attributes are demonstrated not to be virtues, in fact, but a real hindrance to being able to do what he needs to do. <laughs> in and, 1979? In 1979. Yeah. And today. And today, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's interesting because I, I was, I was, when I watched this this time, I was thinking about the movie in its time. In 1970, you know, being made in 1979, and we can we can maybe get into this a little bit later. But I think it's one of the interesting things watching this movie now, as opposed to watching it, you know, fairly close to when it came out, which is when I did, and picking up on really just how much of the time this movie really is. Yeah, point point those out when we get you know when we get to them. Yeah. If you got some observations, I'd love to hear them. The conversation I like is when they're playing chess and uh, Herbert says he's going to go into the future because in three generations, we, we, we will have achieved social utopia, no wars. We'll all be Eloy or Morlocks. Oh, yes, we'll all be excellent. Excellent. It'll be it'll be a paradise on Earth type. All, all this very, very right. progressive and hopeful uh, thought that we will have a- advanced and in three generations from then, he's probably talking about somewhere between World War II and, and Vietnam. And through that, three generations, yeah, roughly. Yeah, three generation is roughly 17 years, 19 years. Yeah, like that, right? it, some people say 15, some people say 25, so I'm going with like 20. So, you know, mid-50s or whatever, it's going to be, there'll be a social, there'll be a utopia. And David Warner's character, Jack, says, you constantly, constantly amaze me, Herbert. You know, all your theorizing, you haven't realized that some men are hunters. I'm paraphrasing, but some men are hunters. Some are prey, some are predators. It's always been that way and always will be that way. And I kind of, as depressing as this might sound, kind of found myself agreeing with with David Warner, mm. much more so than than H.D. Wells, uh, and I, I thought that was a good that was a good conversation. And because Malcolm McDowell, when he says that, Malcolm McDowell and it, the both McDowells, uh, Roddy and Malcolm, right? They they do a lot of acting with their eyes. They do. That's a good, that's a really good observation, I think. And. When Warner says something that brutal, the H.D. Wells character looks shocked and almost as if it has, had never crossed his mind that things might not be great in the future based on uh, how humans you know, act and treat each other currently. He almost looks slightly offended, slightly shocked, yeah. and slightly scared. And he does all that. He's a good face actor. They both are. Yes, I agree. And Warner, I like, is because he's always very calm, cool, and collected. That there's a knock on the door. The police show up. The Bobbies in Scotland Yard. The Ripper has struck again. Even though it's been a couple, of, it's been some time since he's done this. He struck again. They think he may be hiding in the area. 
can they search the house? So we've seen at the beginning of the movie, we've seen the Ripper. There strike. is an opening scene yes. that's very, uh, very stereotyped. Yeah, yeah, very stereotypical of you. You start fog, sh- fog shrouded cobblestone streets, canning on the drunk prostitute. Yeah. yeah. Then the guy who ultimately will be Jack the Ripper, you see his shoes walking across the cobblestone streets. And it's a very trite type stuff. But he's struck again. They search the house. They find the doctor's bag, but not the doctor. And all of a sudden, it dawns on them that John Leslie Stevens is Jack the Ripper. And he's fled the house somehow. He's gotten out of the house. But they'll catch up with him. And they're going to escort all all his friends home so they're safe. And and HG goes down into his cellar, realizes that Jack has taken the time machine into the future. But he still had the key. So the time machine would come back to London. Right. HG yes. Wells had the key. The key yes. wasn't in it. So you could. So Jack could take it somewhere. Get out, go about his business, but ultimately the machine would come back and, right. and Jack would not have access to the machine. He'd just be stuck wherever he was in the future. Right. And it's November 5th, 1979, that he either chose to go to or was that put in as an example when he was showing his friends? I, I don't remember the, the significance of that date. I don't remember. I think the significance of the date is was around the time the movie was made. Yeah. Oh, uh, Okay. I, I, and I, I think I don't think that there was I don't think there was any. I, it was a note to myself. I said, "Well, why this date?" That makes sense. I think, and it may have been that that was his vision of what the three generations would be. Right within three generations, we'll achieve this. So that's clearly three generations at least removed. Yes, and I'm trying to trying to remember. When just I'm just trying to remember what date it was released. The the movie? Yeah. I think it was seventy nine. No, it was released in seventy nine. I was just kind of curious if they have the actual date it was released. Oh. Yeah, it looks like it was it was released. It was released in the United States, September 28th, 1979. So almost kind of close to that November 5th date. Right. Which might be part of it. But yeah, you're right. 1979. It's, it's almost, it's 90 years roughly into the future. And, um, and he decides he's going to follow him. He must stop him. Yes, he can't unleash Jack the Ripper into the utopia. Of course not. Who'd want that? At least this time traveler takes something he can use for money. Unlike he does. our, he, he, yeah. unlike, <laughs> unlike our friend from the novel, who just kind of go, oh, I'm gonna go hundreds of thousands of years into the future with nothing. He takes some jewelry <laughs> and things like that, which he'll later try to exchange for some cash. Mm-hmm. And he goes. The what did you, the time travel effects were? I I know it's seventy nine, yeah, cheap. Yes, yes, they were uh, and off. They were they were cheap and and they were off also. Um, 
you know, like the sun would be passing over the sky, you know, kind of, and it would take maybe a second and a half, but you know, the months were whirring by on the machine, (laughs) (laughs) things like that. But don't they, doesn't he tell him it's two minutes a year? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And then you get, I I don't know if it's what we're supposed to get as he travels back in time or he is hearing this, but you hear a politician's speech. You hear yeah, Martin yeah, Luther yeah. King's speech. And I don't know if he's supposed to be I somehow. I think that's just movie. That's this movie, movies yeah. type stuff. Yeah. But um, where does he, where does he land in the future? That's funny too. Yes, he ends up in a museum, a museum exhibit of H.G. Wells um, <laughs> uh, stuff in San Francisco instead of in in London. Because he at first thinks that he's got his his he's done his math wrong because he's got the right date but he's got the wrong time. He's got the right date, wrong time. He's in San Francisco, eight hours, eight hours difference. They say, yeah, at one point, yeah, and he's in the H.G. Wells exhibit, yes, which, um, what they do we ever know why? A San Francisco museum is doing an HB HG Wells exhibit. No, meaning no clue. I could find no connection between HG Wells and San Francisco. It's not like he lectured there, traveled there, wrote no. about San I think it was because Meyer likes San Francisco. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all it comes down to. Yeah. The time machine itself was dug up. It had been buried during the war. Right. His residence, and so they dug it up. So the time machine is actually there. He's in the time machine, and he's being and young. Corey Feldman is pointing, pointing to the machine, saying, "Mom, there's a man in there. There's a man yes. in there." And he gets scolded by the, he gets scolded by the museum guards, and ultimately leaves. And then we get the whole. Did you like the? Anything stand out to you, or anything that kind of you liked about the? Because the the next. I don't know time-wise, but a good chunk of the movie is a fish-out-of-water story. Yes. And he's going from... He knows he needs money. And he's going from various European banks to European banks. Well, he's going from... Because he, he, he also realizes that his... His... Um, um, query is... Uh, um, you know, his that Jack the Ripper needs money, too. So he's going from bank to bank to see whether anybody has... Has seen David Warner, and he's just getting shot down. He yes, he eats at a McDonald's. He eats at a McDonald's. Yes, which I thought it was funny that he mimics the guy in front of him, but instead of ordering coffee, he orders tea. Yes, what it <laughs> that McDonald's? Do you have any recollection of green uniforms in McDonald's? Uh, I don't, but I'm not one to ask. I'm trying to think back. I thought the McDonald's uniforms, because it, it, it's the the gold and red, what is it, gold right. and yeah, red yeah. colors? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. And they're running around in like these mint green uniforms. Yeah. Is that something <laughs> for the movie? Did they really do that? I mean, I don't I don't remember that, but it's that was the most jarring thing in the movie is why were these McDonald's employees <laughs> in 1979 wearing these terrible, <laughs> terrible uniforms that I can't remember. And he's checking out the table that he thinks the, he thinks the space age polymer, you know, lin- yes. linoleum table, or some type of, some type of new, new crazy wood. Oh, later on in the, sh- in the movie, he calls them McDonald's McDougal's. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he ate at McDougal's. 
But he finds, he finally finds, and I like this scene. He walks out of, I think, the, the Bank of Rome. And across the street, he sees the Union Jack and the mm-hmm. Bank of the Bank of England, the Bank of London. Yes. And they start playing the... <clears throat> dun, 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 dun. Of course, yes. <laughs> and he takes off his hat and he strolls in like he's home. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> it's all, all good stuff. It's all tropes, though, right? I mean, it's all, and and granted, it's all tropes now, particularly, probably less so then. Um, But it is one of the things that ages the movie. Yeah, whether it started the tropes or continued them, it, 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 it puts a stamp on the movie. Yeah. But he finds the Bank of London. I think it's the Bank of London, right? Not England. I think it's. I think it was London, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Is going to exchange, going to exchange some money. Mary Steenburgen as Amy Robbins is on the foreign desk, the foreign currency desk, mm-hmm. and he thinks to ask her if another gentleman, English gentleman, dressed like him, had been in, and she says yes. Did he give his name as John Leslie Stevens? Yes, he did. You wouldn't happen to know where he's staying. She t- tells him he, she recommended the Hyatt Regency. And then she kind of she starts hitting on him. <laughs> yes. And this is where the, the, the movie begins. In my mind, this is one of those places where <clears throat> it's definitely a movie of its time. Yes. Yes. Very much of its time. Because <clears throat> the, there, there's an immediate... Um, awkwardness around him doing business with a woman right <laughs> yes, when, he, yes. when he says well is there a gentleman i can speak with and she gets offended and say hey I'm, this is my job right kind of stuff but you immediately get thrown into this um um it, it, it kind of i don't know if it's the, at by 79 whether it's to a certain degree the remnants i guess we're still in the midst of the era amendment the equal rights amendment was still a, a big thing and the um, beginning to um, get rid of the formal and informal barriers to women in the workplace, um, as well as a continuation of the notion of women really having self-determination, um, it, you know, in society. And all of that is like out front, out center. I mean, she is right and we see this through some of the rest of the movie she's not only in the world of business you know cutting her own way she's also very open about her own sexuality and what she's interested in right i mean it's all these all these uh things to demonstrate that she is a person who has embraced these these notions of um empowerment for women which which I think really dates the movie in it, but it was really, it, in another way, it's also very interesting to kind of see how that was treated because I'm not sure it was treated particularly respectfully in the movie. It was the, kind of the sexual politics. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a feature of the time, late seventies into the eighties. Yeah. You see this in, especially in, Horror movies. I'm thinking of the 1980 or 81, The Fog, and there's a bunch. It just happened back then. You meet 
man, woman, meet, cut, and they're sitting in bed smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Done, and we meet, we have sex, done and done. And it, it was all over the place back then. It was just, you know, and growing up back then, it's like, that, is that what happens? You meet someone and five minutes later you're in the sack together? Yeah. And then you're asking them their name? Right. Is that... <laughs> It was just a, it was such a feature back then. Probably started to die out late eighties, early nineties, but but back then, yeah, and that's what happens here. Yeah. Basically he essentially moves in with her, but not before. And I think you're right, too, just to go back. I think the are you against women's lib? And he says, No, I was for it. And she says something like, You were for it, what happened? And he's like, No, 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 it's I'm I'm still for it does Places us a huge, a huge date stamp on it. Yeah, I don't think including the way that she include, and this is why I think it's not treated particularly well because there's a degree to which she is uncomfortable with these notions that she's espousing. Right? I mean, it's kind of like over the top. She's like asserting it to reaffirm for herself. And interestingly enough, I think that a, a, another movie made roughly around the same time actually dealt with all of that a whole lot better in, in a, an odd way. It's still dated and dated in a lot of ways, but was, I think, more respectful of that notion was the Lily Tomlin, um, Jane Fonda, Dolly Parton uh, vehicle, uh, 9 to 5 which I still think is a great movie. It, oh, I, I think yeah. it's a great movie. And I think it's a little bit more respectful of those sorts of issues because on the one hand, you had the Jane... I know we're talking about a different movie now. But on the one hand, you had the Jane Fonda character who was really clearly struggling with those notions, right? She had, you know, what you would call a very traditional, you know, sense of what a woman should be. And she's kind of forced into this existence through a divorce where she has to go and work and you have Lily Tomlin who's maybe you know 15 years further down the road in that in that path if she ever really had a sense of herself in that more you know traditional view of things um and you know they it's this at a certain level not a battle between the two of them but that contrasting vision of of you know how they react to things and how they progress through their story I think is a lot more respectful of, of kind of that, you know, that struggle where in this, she just kind of, she asserts, right. Mary Seenberg's character kind of asserts this stuff, but then in behavior, she's never quite there. She's rather traditional. Yeah. Yeah. I think though, comparing it to that movie is a little unfair because oh, that's absolutely, a, that's a high powered. Oh, those people were like at the peak. Yes, no, of, no, no. of stardom. So yeah. that was a, and that was kind of the point of the movie. Yeah. This is a throw in. I think it's a throw in for the time for San Francisco because she does make that comment that. Fair enough. Yeah. You know, that's, that's those are all yeah. fair points. That's not and, what this movie was trying to do. That is definitely something that the movie Nine to Five was trying to grapple with. Yes. No, I agree. It is a little I, bit unfair. And I think it takes a little shot, not a shot at San Francisco, but when her friend says, Mentions it, mentions her flirting with the guy, and she's uh, Mary Steenburgen and says, "Well, he's cute, and he's at least he's not gay, right?" So they 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 toss that in there. I think the 
best scene in the entire movie is next when he goes and tracks HG goes and tracks down Jack the Ripper at the hotel. Mm. Knocks on the door. Jack's in there getting dressed and he's putting on his three piece suit. And he just, uh, you know, he opens the door and it's like, ah, you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Wasn't really expecting to see you. Come on in. And I don't know what what H.G. Wells thinks he's he's he basically went there to do a citizen's arrest and bring him back to 1888 London. What did what did he think was going to happen? It's an interest. I think he thought that his it, because uh, David Warner was his friend, and David Warner was also an English gentleman from the 19th century. And the thing that I took from it is that he felt, Wells felt, the character felt, if he goes and he confronts him and tells him, you know, you're a gentleman, you know, <laughs> you know, you've done wrong, you know, you've done wrong, you've been found out, you know, you, and you're my friend. And so therefore you're going to do the right thing, <laughs> which of course is about as naive as you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Which almost fits really nicely into his character. His character, right. Right. Exactly. And But the thing I liked about this scene, I'm sure you have this down as, the. I think it's the best scene. It's certainly the best line when, it is almost a line that should not be in this movie. This movie doesn't, des- I, as much as I like this movie, it almost doesn't deserve the line. <laughs> yeah. When he says, you don't belong here. And Jack the Ripper says, oh, contraire. Yeah. You don't. And he turns on the TV and you see, uh, they talk about it. A Political terrorist. assassination, terrorism. Ter- yeah, <laughs> college, yeah. college football college, game. Yeah. <laughs> Yosemite Sam <laughs> yeah, and a, right, and a right. cannon. Yep. And he says, 90 years ago, I was a fr- Today, I'm an amateur. Yeah. And I'm thinking, by that time, you have the Manson killings, yeah. the Zodiac, David Berkowitz, yeah. um, the guy who killed all those nurses was a, Richard Speck. Yeah, Vietnam. You, uh, even Vietnam. And I was thinking so because at the end of the day, even though they don't talk about this that much, uh, the fascinating thing about the Jack the Ripper murders is they were unsolved, number one, mm-hmm. and the time and place. And the like I said, I think the social and economic conditions at the time, because and I don't mean this to sound the wrong way. Most most historians attribute five murders to Jack the Ripper. And by the standards, by the time you get to the 70s and 80s, that is small stuff. Yeah. That is small potatoes when you have guys who are committing 10, 20, you know, telling you where 30, 40, 50 bodies can be found. Yeah. He was, by by the late 70s, an amateur. And it's a great, great, I mean, that's the kind of line every writer wants to be able to write once in a while. Mm-hmm. I think it's been, I think it's a great line. I think it's the best line in the movie. I agree. Best line in the movie. Um, and um, also, I mean, not just, you know, kind of best line in the movie, but really does um, bring that character. Although I think there are huge flaws with the Jack the Ripper character. It does, you know, work in the movie as well. Right. It's not this thing that's just I mean, as you said, the movie doesn't kind of deserve it because the movie's not as good as the line. But it really does work extremely well in the movie to 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 
um, juxtapose the Wells character and his vision of the future and the Ripper character and his vision of the future. Jack wants the key. Jack really wants... Because he doesn't want Wells following him around all the time. And what are his plans? Is he just going to travel through time doing his thing? Well, no, I think he's there... He's there and he's going to head to San Francisco. If he has the key, then he just doesn't. I, I think he's, he doesn't have to worry about Wells coming after him. And if things get too hot, he can leave. They struggle. They're interrupted by a maid. Yes. And then the funniest foot chase in possibly the history of movies begins. Uh, given. <laughs> 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 Warner Warner runs, McDowell follows, and they're chasing each other. And I'm wondering to myself, it's one of the slowest chases I've ever seen. Apparently, Warner had a broken ankle. Well, that would explain why he was running the way he was yeah. running. Yeah, he had sprained or, or he had a sprained or broken ankle, so it was really taking it easy. And McDowell also apparently had a foot injury at the time, so he's taking it easy. But I'm. Not only are they chasing each other and ending up in all sorts of impossible geography, yes. like across the street, bridges and yes. walkways and things like that. I'm like, what is he going to do if he catches him? Yeah. Again. Yeah. What? what is he really going to what? Is he physically going to be able to subdue him? I don't think so. No. Would he physically try to subdue him after claiming he's a pacifist? Right. What what is the point of this chase that takes up like probably a minute too too much of the movie's time? Yeah. It was I, ridiculous. I think it's to show interesting parts of San Francisco. It could be. It could be. There is because um, there's that one scene on there where they're on the two different bridges. Yeah. Which was but, I which was really nice and, and you know, was done fairly well as well. You know, you know, which way are you gonna go? <laughs> and um, and I think it was, a, I, I think that's all that it was, honestly, I, because you're right. I mean, it was kind of, although, you know, what else is Wells going to do? Is he just going to let him go? Is he going to go to the cops, which he tried with that ridiculous story? Right. Arrest this guy. Who is this guy? Oh, he's John. Okay. He's, we don't have any record of him in the country. Right. Anywhere. How are we? His, 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 his choice of a, alias was remarkable. It was not very farsighted. No, and uh, he did not really have a a a real plan. No, on, on what to do. It was no. his moves are actually quite quite ridiculous. Yeah, well, both of them at, at a certain level. But let's let's get back to the plot. So he chases him until David Warner gets hit by a car. <laughs> yeah, he thinks he's dead. Taken to the hospital, and Wells goes to the hospital, and he's told that he's died. Um, and so he, uh, I, I guess he assumes all is okay. Yeah. What happens after that? So he is goes, that, he goes that when back. the relationship starts. Yes. That's really? when the, re- yes, that's when he goes and he sees Mary Steenburgen and they, um, um, immediately fall into the sack. They fall into the sack. They start a relationship. This is all within like a week, a day. Oh, yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Pretty much just over 24 hours, right? Yeah. And they're kind of a couple. She wants her worker to come over on Friday night to meet him for dinner. Right. And in the meantime, they they suddenly learn that 
Jack's not Jack's not dead. Right, because there's there's corpses Pro- showing up. Love his outfits when he's out hunting. Oh yeah. Great late seventies stuff. It's, Turtleneck it's, with the vest. The uh, denim vest. Yes. <laughs> Love it. And he's going out to disc discotheques. Yes. And uh meeting women and he what's the what's his kill count? Three? I don't know. It's a it's a lot. There's the African American woman. Mm-hmm. There's the redhead, and then there's Mary Steenburgen's friend, and Mary Steenburgen's friend at least three, and he's trying to H H G is trying to track him down. She, Mary Steenburgen really doesn't understand what's going on because he's he's made a couple comments that makes her think he is. He's out of his gourd. So ultimately what they do is we got to find this guy. And if there's something you want to talk, I, I thought this part of the movie went, was pretty straightforward, fairly straightforward with not, I can't remember too many twists and turns. He wants to cap. He, he's not content. He, he wants to stop Jack. Right. So he remembers there's a time machine and they could go back read the papers figure out who we'll go forward because be... oh, i'm sorry yeah, yeah it's going a day he, forward he, yes. he yes. proved that's because because he tells finally he tells mary because and he wants to prove to her as well yeah so he takes her to the time machine they go forward a okay. few days it's the two birds with one stone they get a newspaper and she finally is on board okay yeah. you are hg wells from the from the future and yeah. it it tells them when the next victim's going to be as well as under the fold is a picture of her. Right. Amy Robbins. As a victim on Friday. On Friday. There's a victim the day before in McLaren Park. So they're going to try to stop that. Right. That does not go well. Because he thinks he's going to, because, and this is, this is where, this is what I was getting at before. They, they treat the question of, can you influence, right? What, um, um, can you influence the future that you visit by doing something in the past, right? So they find out that she's, that, you know, they're, they're there on a Saturday, I guess, or whatever it is, and they see the paper on Saturday and it says, hey, last night Mary Steenburgen was killed. Right. So he says, oh, well, we can stop this because I can, I can stop the next murder, right? And we can go from there. And they go back the few days, back to where they were, and try to change the future and, and they can't and they fail to do it um except that ex- it's not mary steenburgen who's killed it's her friend but query whether um you know the paper got it wrong but the paper got it wrong because i think everybody else got it wrong right the police thought it was her who was killed right that headline may have been the same yes the headline may have been the same the fact may be different than what the headline says, but that doesn't mean that you've changed the future, right? It, right. It, so they, I thought that they handled that nicely. They didn't get into that question. All of the facts as they knew them stayed the same. It was just a different outcome because um, there may have been a misperception on the part of the paper, right? Exactly. And she, Mary Steenburgen herself is in danger because David Warner um, 
while this is going on, David Warner goes back to get more change out, more currency into American dollars. Right. And he figures out based on some of her ham fisted questions that that HG's been there. Right. Well, so here's the here's here's okay. So you're David Warner. You're a serial killer. You go exchange your money at the Bank of London. The nice lady tells you, oh, this is a nice hotel. You go to that hotel, and a day later, your nemesis shows up. Yes. Okay? So. Wow. How many hotels are there in San Francisco? Can't be that many, right? Okay. But. <laughs> Not joking. Yeah. So, so you don't put two and two together on that basis, right? That's, that's number one. That seems to me to be far-fetched. Number two, why don't you change things up? Once you, you know, you know, Wells found you once before. Right. Right. Why go back into the same patterns? Go to a different bank. Go to go to a different bank. Go to a different city. Yeah. Go to a different. Yeah, exactly. Go to a different time. Go to a different time. Get into the time machine. Go somewhere else. There's nothing in this in this instance. There's nothing special about San Francisco. He could go down to L.A. Yes, it's 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 very ham fisted. But needless to say, it puts her, Amy Robbins, in danger. Yes. Because yes. he can look up her name. Apparently, yes. there's only one Amy Robbins in San Francisco in the phone book. Yes. And he gets her address, so he knows where she lives. That's why she's in danger. Hence the headline when they go into the into the future about her right. death. Right. And then things, I mean, for me, um, things kind of come to their inevitable conclusion. He's He buys a gun to protect her. He is waylaid by the cops because he simply knows too much. Yes, he's the one that he's... calls as Sherlock Holmes and says, "Get the police to McCarran M- M- Park." Right, and he and he had previously given the police her address as where he was staying because it was in fact where he was staying, and so they um, they know where to find him and they they catch him outside of her house after he's gone and bought a gun from a pawn shop. He's out of commission. He's he's behind bars. Yes. No no charges as far as I know yet. <laughs> he's just Yeah, he's just <laughs> held <laughs> maybe for having a handgun. I don't know what the handgun laws were in California back then, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but he is waylaid and she and and she's left to her own devices. Uh, we later discover that uh, everyone thinks she's been murdered by Jack who shows up at the house. We later find out that that's not correct that her friend showed up for that she had that amy robbins had gotten out of the house in time yes and that her friend showed up for dinner at the wrong time and ended up being the victim the victim of jack um and i can't now you know it's funny i watched it twice over the past three days and i can't remember how he comes to find out she's alive and with jack because he's walking through the park and oh oh, it was just that it was just that coincidental well no it wasn't coincidental because i think that um david warner sees this as another opportunity i think what you're supposed to be led to believe is that when he gets there he doesn't kill uh mary steenburgen he kidnaps a traitor yeah he wants a traitor. traitor and then the friend shows up and he kills the friend then he he kind of stalks Wells, 
find and 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 um has Mary Seen version call to him in the park, right? And that's right. how uh, so that he can he can make the trade, right? And it's give me the key, I'll give you the girl. And of course, like any good bad guy, he gets the key but doesn't give up the girl. And then there's a chase to the museum, right? Where it all culminates in Jack uh, getting in to the steampunk helicopter. He's got the key now. He's going to be able to travel through time. But Deus Ex Machina style, Herbert removes that pin from the outside. Yes. So the time machine stays and Jack goes hurtling through time. But I don't. Yeah. Will he stop somewhere? Or I don't know. Does he just keep going? The implication in his statement is that he's stuck in some time vortex. Yeah. He's just gone. But there's that, and inter- seems to be doing it, doing it willingly though, because there's there's the, that weird nod, right? Yeah, yeah, almost yeah, yeah. like you're here to stop me. Maybe I should be stopped. Yes, I'm a I'm a, I'm a beast. So yes. he almost, or it's say I would do the same in your position. So I understand. It's a weird scene given his previous behavior in not not complying with the the deal, the, the Mary Steen Virgin for the key. Yeah. And so I found that weird. And then the strangest part is she's going to go back to Victorian London with yes. H.G. Wells. Kind of, in a weird sense, blows up that whole beginning part that she's an independent modern woman. Yes. Odd, odd move rather than the poignant goodbye, right? Yes. It kind of ruins that whole that whole spiel. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Not just me then, right? No, 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 no. No, no. Not just Very you. strange. Ironically, um and then it ends. That's how it ends. Yeah. Boom. Good good yeah, late good 70s early. Yeah. yeah, good quick out like they used to do. Yeah. Not a 20 minute uh what what their life is like back in London. Yeah. So, what's your overall take on this? I like it. It's fun, it's entertaining. It's it's relatively quick, straightforward. the The acting's fine. It's, it's fun. Yeah, it you know it's if you accept it for what it is and and kind of when it was made, right? All of that. Um, it's it's solid. It's you've got two um, kind of marquee actors for different reasons, in my opinion, with David Warner and Malcolm McDowell, and. Mary Steenburgen, very early in her career. Yeah, not quite at the peak of her powers, but no, but um, on on the rise. Yeah, on the rise, where she's she's developing that kind of quirkiness that imbues all of her acting, which I'm personally not a huge fan of. Um, uh, I've never actually <laughs> one way or the other with Mary Steenburgen. I mean, I, I like a lot of the stuff she's in, but I never actually think enough to analyze her she doesn't ruin anything yeah no no, no. i'm just not fun. sure there's yeah there's somebody no, there's, there's always other actresses i think who could take yeah. that role or any of her roles <laughs> yeah although she's done a good job here and there like she was the parenthood um, was good parenthood was good she was in um philadelphia she was the oh yeah defense lawyer um i thought she did a very good job in that oh, forgot about that yeah but in any event um yeah so i mean my view is you know, I'm like you, and maybe this is part of our age, but you know, I'm I really like David Warner. Um, 
I really like Malcolm McDowell in, in movies. I think he's got a weird looking face and he does lots of neat stuff with it. Um, it's a great vision of modernity, right? For late seventies. Yep. Um, it's, it's really kind of, I think kind of neat that way. And then you can get that from a lot of movies, but Hey, it's got a little action in it. it's got a little drama. It's got a little romance, right? It does everything, you know, of that kind of movie that you, you want to see done. It has problems. Um, as we've talked about already, it, there are other problems. Like to me, one of the big problems is they really don't make David Warner into a serial killer. He's a gentleman who's killed a lot of people who then goes crazy at the very tail end of the, of the movie where he seems to be, have a psychological disconnect when he's talking about, you know, well, the girl's not all that pretty, but maybe you really want her. Maybe you don't. I don't know if you caught that. It's like, yes, there's this kind of weird scene where you kind of, Whoa, where the hell is this coming from? But the, you never really, tr he's never really treated in a, um, any sort of a nuanced way as a serial killer. He's just right. It's just, he's this, this English gentleman from the 19th century who happens to have killed a whole bunch of people and is going to continue doing so. They, yes, they, they just don't, they never really make him into anything, which there's no, there's no psychosis really. Is there? Yeah. He's not a, he's not the, sociopath that he should be right exactly and he's just it's almost like it's a it's a gentleman's hobby exactly exactly <laughs> which is maybe why wells thinks he'll just come back <laughs> but but so you know there there you know that i thought was a little bit glaring and some of that look i mean some of that's just because not as many you know mainstream movies um, did that as they do today. I mean, today the notion of not only the anti-hero, but also of a villain with real character is much more imbued in, in, in the things that we, in the movies that are made, right? It's only in really, really cheap, bad movies where you have those, you know, real dichotomies. And so <clears throat> it's a movie of its time in that, in that regard. Um, yeah, and he's I, the bad dude. Yeah, and I think that, and, and so I think if you go in kind of accepting that, um, it's you know it's entertaining. It's it's something to kind of watch bits and pieces of if it's on television, and it's you know, and it's on it's HBO over. Max. So you know, yes, uh, it's it's worth ninety minutes if you're if you're a seventies movies fan. Hey, because listen, I think the, you get it. The fall, the fall is coming up. If there's a rainy Saturday, and you're alone, not doing anything, and you just want to flop on the couch and watch something. It's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. I like the, uh, and this happens in a couple other San Francisco movies. When they're walking through the, you called it the park with the pillars mm -hmm. and the, that architecture, that's the Palace of Fine Arts mm -hmm. in San Francisco. And it's featured in Everything. Uh, So I Married an Axe, Murder. I believe it's in the Star Trek, The Voyage Home when they're in San Francisco. It's always used. It's it's a it looks wonderful. It's it was built in the late eighteen hundreds. It was updated, I think, in the sixties, but it was built to look like Roman ruins, and it certainly does. Mm -hmm. Um, that that I think was great. I other than that though, I I, I think it could have showcased San Francisco more. I don't know if it was a budgetary thing that 
trying to uh, maybe get a permit to work at or near the Golden Gate Bridge is very expensive, possibly, or some other landmarks. But mm-hmm. I wish it had showcased San Francisco a bit, a bit more, because all you really get is that, that classic uh, hill mm-hmm. the trial, with the with the you always see that hill with the yes. trolley going up and down, and the Palace of Fine Arts, and that's really about it. Yeah. That's that was fair. disappointing. I did not realize McDowell and Steam Virgin married a year later and were yeah. married for 10 years. I never knew that. Yeah, nor did I. I was wondering why. Are, are, are you done talking about the movie itself? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I think, well, the one other thing that I would I would note is that the music is very, very hollywood 1970s music <laughs> yeah i'll just i'll just leave it at that it's that's a that's a perfect description <laughs> why didn't he go to the so he when he lands, oh, oh god well okay go ahead when he well no, i got i got two things i'm sure you have one of them. <laughs> when he lands at the at the museum and sees there's an exhibit to himself why didn't he go to the library and check out what he wrote yeah and take it back with them. Yeah. Which would, it's not stealing. It's his ideas. Yeah. He just has them before anybody else. Uh, or he's, he has them before he normally would. And, you know, he could save a lot of time just writing down things he already wrote. I don't, wouldn't you be curious? Like, what did I do? Yeah. Why? You know, I see this exhibit. Great. It's telling me some stuff, but maybe I'll he, go check out some of my books. You know, and, and not only his books, but his life. I mean, he... H.G. Wells um, had a lot of affairs <laughs> and a lot of affairs with interesting people. If you believe the, yeah, if you believe everything, he he was a busy guy. Yeah. And had an affair with, uh, I thought, um, writers. The, the writer, the, the female writer he had a son by. Yep. And then um, a woman who was a, who would, people believe was a russian double agent yes yep um yeah somebody's mistress right yeah lots of but lots and lots of 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 affairs and wells did marry a woman named amy robbins they were married for yes eight to ten years and she died relatively young yeah and then he just went on to a string of affairs and and the other question dalliances Dalliance is the lack of the lack of curiosity about himself mm. was interesting to me. And the other thing was, why didn't he go back a day okay. and prevent yeah. the take so you everything plays out the same except uh David Warner's in the house when the police search it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So the time. So it's a much of, short, much shorter movie. There, there's tons of these. There's tons of these. Right. It's okay. Why go into the future and track him down? Why not go into the past and stop him? Why um, not go into the past and, and redo when you're in the, the future? The why day not go, get why, Mary Steenburgen out of town. Why don't you go the day before he shows up, right? <laughs> so that you're there when he gets there and you can capture him. Them, I mean, right? I mean, there's just all yeah. of these, all of these things that 
That I thing. like <laughs> my favorite though is the one that he just goes like a day in the past and it's like it's a it's a ten minute movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Doctor C, glad you joined us for dinner. I've got yeah. All right, here, put on these handcuffs for a moment. I've got this neat experiment to show you. <laughs> There's just so many things you could do. It's no. uh, it's it's really yeah. It's really funny. I like the connection though between this movie and the in Star Trek, which I'm not a Star Trek guy, so some of this was new to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you knew this. Warner and McDowell were both in Star Trek movies. Yes, they were. Nicholas Meyer, of course, uh, directed at least. I don't know if he was involved in a couple Star Trek movies, including The Voyage Home, which is actually like probably the most fun, where they go back to modern day San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the one where Chekhov is walking around asking in the Russian accent, "Where, yes. uh, where are the nuclear where are vessels?" The nuclear vessels. Yes. That's a fun one. So Myers used San Francisco again as the setting for time travel. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Back to the Future connections. Mary Steenburgen, of course, in Back to the Future Three, plays a woman who falls in love with a time traveler. Mm-hmm. In the original Back to the Future. The doctor sets November 5th, 1955, as the date. Okay, that's a little bit more tenuous. It's the same month. No, same date. Oh, is it fifth? Oh, okay. November oh. 5th. Ah, okay. The same date as in Time After Time, which may have been an homage to Time After Time or coincidence. I didn't, yeah, I didn't find right. that. Um, there is... Also, a 1978 television film adaptation of The Time Machine that modernizes things. And there's a scientist that works for a fictional U.S. defense contractor, quote, the mega corporation, end quote. Ooh, nice. His name is Dr. Neil Perry. He is... Um, Let's see what he he reprogram an off course missile averting disaster and then secures a grant of twenty million dollars for his time machine project, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That movie, it's funny, that nineteen seventy-eight television movie debuted on the network on November fifth, nineteen seventy-eight. Hmm. There's also a two thousand two Guy Pierce film. Of mm-hmm. the time machine, which I started to watch, and it was just a little too out there for me. Uh, yeah. I might go back and try it again. And the only interesting thing, the interesting thing to me was that was actually directed by Wells's great grandson, Simon Wells. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think that's all I have on on this kind of craziness. How about you? Anything that stood out to you? Any questions you got? Uh no, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, it's good. It's fine. I think, yeah. I mean, I think that there's, um, you know, the good thing about, um, you know, I'll 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 say this: the notion of time travel has so many really interesting possibilities to it that it's you know really not everything has been conceived and done with it and the problem 
like that I was noting before of the kind of, well, you know, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? You know, all this kind of stuff. The only reason I'm saying those things is because I've had the opportunity to see so many different examples of people talking about, you know, time travel. And it really, I think, goes back to, and this is not something that is, that originates with H.G. Wells. This is when we did the, when we, when we did the book, The Time Travel, I was thinking about, um, think about this and did some research. I mean, there, there are, you know, things going back hundreds of years, stories going back hundreds of years that um, focus on uh, time travel or some element of time travel. A lot of it kind of like what H.G. Wells' novel was about, which is for political reasons or, you know, social philosophy reasons, I'm going to speculate through some sort of, you know, fictional, you know, description of what the future may hold, right? Those sorts of things. But it's such a, a rich subject and so much has been, has been done with it. Um, it I, I kind of feel um, like it's a little bit unfair to criticize some of the things that we criticize in this just because how do you deal with those questions, right? About what happens unless unless you really, really work it out, right? And create some, your own basic, you know, theory of the case and, and develop a story around it, which these guys weren't going to do. You know, I mean, this no. was a simple, you know, little action romance kind of a kind of a thing. And so I, I feel that to a certain degree, some of the criticism of it is a little bit unfair. Um, it's unfair, but it, it, is, it is fun to point things out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a lot of, it's a, it was fun. You know, the, I mean, I'm definitely going to say it was it. It's it's a fun movie again for the time. You, you accept those things and and move on. Yeah, no, it's good. And I was going to say at the the last uh, episode we did the the novel to the time machine and we talked about where what we might do with the time machine and yeah, we never really came to a conclusion. But I was thinking one of the cruel things to do would be to take certain pieces of literature back in time with you. And have them published a few months before they normally would have been published. So, for, so for example, you get in the time machine with the Lord of the Rings, the Harry Potter novels, and uh, the Catcher in the Rye. Mm. Right? You go back, and in 1937, you send your manuscript of The Hobbit to you know, Stanley Unwin, and it's published, and it just blows Tolkien's mind. I have the same exact thing written. <laughs> then you do it like, then you become a writer known for like doing everything. Like then the next thing you do is like Catcher in the Rye. Right. And then the next thing you do is like maybe the Harry Potter stuff. You do it early and people are coming up independently with this idea. And then they see your book on the shelf and you're just basically going through time, destroying literary lives. That is <sighs> very cruel. <laughs> 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 because you're clearly not doing it for the money you're doing it for the joy <laughs> stealing people's <laughs> man, steal, stealing people's ideas before they have them <laughs> um, alright on that note uh, is there anything you want to talk about reading watching wise um, no I don't think so I'm about to start some start some other books but um, um yeah, no, not really. I haven't really been watching anything that I would comment on, or and the last thing I read, I've already commented on, which was the Octavia Butler book. Yeah, I haven't been delving into too much. I've been busy 
with a lot of family stuff and the end of summer and things like that. So I am rewatching Succession. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I never haven't rewatched the first couple seasons and it's been what that came out, I think, 2018. Yeah. And I assume another season's set to come out in the next, I don't know, six months, maybe. I, I hope so. I, yeah. I don't know what the schedule is like, but I'm like, yeah, I'm in the mood for something like that. I'm in the mood for something like that. So I will rewatch Succession and hopefully by the time I'm done, it'll be, you know, close to the time they're ready to get the fourth season out. And otherwise, just things here and there, you know. Yeah, watching this, reading that, nothing, nothing too grand to talk about. But all right, this is fun. A good, good fun. Seventy nine, nineteen seventy nine movie. Yeah, had fun talking about it. And we do have a Twitter page at RTWT twenty twenty two, and we have email at Uriah Heap three two four at gmail dot com. I think I chose that as a Dickens reference because we're going to do movies, but then I was, or to do novels, but then I was like, man, maybe it's the British rock band too. I don't know. I was, yeah, no, hey, not a bad choice. Could be, could be either, could be both. All right, man. Enjoy your day. You too. Take right. care. Bye.